A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 68. With your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg, featuring Jessamine McIntyre. Welcome to another. Oh, she's cutting me off already. Uh, this will be like the first I and last do. time. Jessamine McIntyre is on the show, like you always do. Well, let's not waste time. Jessamine McIntyre, thanks for joining us. What a, what a treat. Uh, yes, I would say so on your guys' behalf. Um, but it's good to see your faces again because I do, despite. What I've said to you in the past, I do actually miss you. Privately so, and so publicly. I'm, I'm here too, Jessamine, just so you know. I'm I was here. talking oh, to you. Oh, you were Pete. talking to me. Oh, you were yes. talking to me. Oh, I miss you. Can too. you tell which box I'm looking at? No, no, you were talking to me, so you don't miss Dan, but you do miss me. Got it. I, I, I yes. get that. Don't That's be- <laughs> becoming a painfully common theme, from. isn't it? You know what? You reap what you sow, Mr. Power. Yeah, it's true. And uh, unfortunately, I've been sowing some sour crops, so it's come back to haunt me. But thanks for joining us, Jessamine. How, how is life up in Seattle? And obviously, you're quite busy with your commitments with ESPN and football season in full swing. College uh, hasn't started up yet up there, but the pro, obviously, NFL back and running. So how are things on that front? It's nice to have sports again. I mean, the other night, oh, I think it was Thursday night, we had NBA, NHL, NFL, and uh, college football all playing at once and, uh, and not here, obviously, but just looking around all my sports channels because I subscribe to everything, seeing all that. Um, and I guess my, my favorite thing about that is the safe return that they've done. Um, seeing that the NFL and the NBA have had uh, minimal impact through COVID makes me encouraged for at least like what they're doing in their operational status for not just the sports world, but for everyone. And I think, you know, if we can take pages from that and, and move forward, but the NFL has been particularly good with everything because they're not in a bubble and, you know, guys are left to their own devices when they go home and everyone's being very careful. The organizations are taking huge precautions. Um, But if we're going to get into the actual fun side of it, yeah, we've had two Seahawks games up here and I've been, uh, at the stadium for both of them. Obviously, the first one was an away game, but we're broadcasting from there anyway, um, just because we have the space and there's no fans or anything. Um, but yeah, 2 0 to start the season. Not bad. How's it been with the empty stadium? Because obviously, usually the crowd can drown out your potty mouth from the press box, but no Thank crowd. Goodness. So is the hot, ma- hot mic uh, picking up some of your uh, profanities or are you, <laughs> you keeping it under wraps? You know, I learned of the, like this on off switch. You know, like when I was working with you guys, I had to learn that pretty quickly because I was going to talk smack to you during play-by-play constantly. Um, But no, uh, it's weird. It is weird. They pipe in crowd noise. Um, 
which is odd. And um, I don't know if you guys heard about the way that they're doing it. They're allowed to pipe in 75 decibels, which is extremely low. Like, you know, CenturyLink hits 115 when there's fans in there. And it's designed for sound, the maximum sound. And so the way that the teams have to decide how much they're going to pump in is that it has to be equal on offense and defense. And you know, if you're the home team that when you're on defense, it's going to blow your ears out. And when you're on offense, the crowd goes silent because they're smart fans, but however much you're going to pump in has to be equal on both sides because they don't want competitive advantage if it's fake noise. And that has been weird. And I think that the teams don't really notice it, but something awesome that I saw on the Seahawks sideline was the players pumping themselves up. And that was pretty cool to see. Like they went nuts and you almost felt like at that goal line stand that there was a crowd there. Very cool. Yeah, Pete, Pete loves Very the cool. NFL. Look at him. He's so excited. Yeah, I heard you stayed up late to watch Sunday Night Football. You know, uh, yeah, I was up late because my daughter wasn't going to sleep. That's why I was, uh, I was up late. I think it's, you know, you've said that there hasn't, like the players don't notice it, but I wonder if there's actually, it's, if it's easier to communicate. I mean, one of the things I know that's happened in both um, rugby and, and soccer overseas is that we, um, is that the coaches can like shout, right? And people can hear them um, and the players can communicate more. So do you get to hear a little bit more about, you know, players on the field, like what they're saying, how they communicate and the smack that they're talking? You can hear it if you're out in the open air. It's kind of eerie that way where, um, you know, if the windows are open, you can hear them down on the sideline. Um, as defensive players, I think that it's weirder for them because they're so used to the crowd trying to drown out the offense and keeping them from communicating. So they're used to just hand signals, this, that, and, you know, you know, they scream too. But uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I definitely think it's easier to communicate. Um, but maybe that will lead to some interesting things this year. Maybe we'll see more high scoring games, which, you know, there's been a few that we've seen. Um, I don't know how much it'll impact the games, but communication for sure. And, you know, one of the big stories coming out this past weekend, at least what Dan has told me is that there's been a lot of injuries. I actually did follow it. So I know there were seven ACLs. There's, there's, um, Obviously, concerns like no off-season program, basically no preseason games. Um, have you heard anything about? Because this, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what the major league rugby players can do in preparation of their season um, in the spring. So, what have you heard in terms of physical preparation for players? Well, these guys had so much off time to prepare physically themselves, and that comes down to doing home workouts, you know, uh, you know, lifting, staying in shape, good diet and everything. And in the NFL, these guys have been amazing at it. Everyone came in in fantastic shape. The only thing is they haven't been hit. And there's a difference between being in shape and being in football shape. And, you know, I think the same applies to rugby. I would say that compared to the way the NFL operates because of the limited amount of time they get with the new CBAs that come along every couple of years, they keep winding down the amount of times that you can have padded practices, full contact practices, and that keeps lessening and lessening. And I don't see the same thing in rugby because I don't know, you take away a helmet and you're going to be careful with your noggin. And I, that's, I think that's why rugby players are so good at 
uh, form tackling and there are so many good regulations with it. Um, I would expect that there, that would be less of a concern in my opinion for rugby than it is in the NFL. Any more NFL questions, Pete? No, I'm, I'm, I'm done tick, with you. Yeah. No, tick, nothing tick about box. your fantasy team? Tick boxes. Well, Dan's fantasy team. Dan, Dan, your fantasy team, I think, has been absolutely just devastated, right? Listen, you want to talk? Oh, no. You Russell Wilson. You, you, you pipe down, catch. Russell right? Wilson. Russell oh. Wilson. Uh, what? Josh Allen, even having Josh Allen. So listen to this. If you want to do a podcast on bad fantasy teams, it would beat Joe Rogan. Like, honestly, I, every year, without a doubt, my players get hurt. Don't, like, I picked up Rob Gronkowski. I'm like, you know what? A familiar target for Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Two receptions in two games for four yards, I think it's at. Gronk, what <laughs> are you doing? He just came out of retirement. You watch. I'll put him on the bench this week. Three touchdowns. It's just, it's just the way. I put Finette on the bench this week because he was just horrible in that offense. He has a career day with Tampa Bay goes out there and racks up, you know, 20 plus points. I'm just like, what we're going to do is create a, a website that's like bet against DP's fantasy. Like yeah. that's what, that's, that's what actually, you know, money. that's, that's like the next like um, uh, generation, right? Is, is it, is we're not betting on the sport <laughs> and we're not betting on the players. We're betting on another person's selection of the players right mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like it's like the fourth level of separation and <laughs> i can see that happening especially with like really i mean that's not a bad idea there's a it's like esports on esports or something, e-sports uh-huh. or something. that's not a bad idea exactly what it is well i have a friend who actually looked at developing that like a way to wager bets on gaming so you could actually bet on online gaming so kind of an evolution of that so where let's say Jessamine, you play, uh, I'll age myself here, World of Warcraft, and I play World of Warcraft, and we want to battle each other. We then have our odds go into a machine, and then Pete can bet on you to beat me and vice versa. But I I imagine... Probably not vice versa, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, everyone betting on Jessamine, which is smart money, but then becomes the problem of, like, how easy is it to throw a video game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, mean, there's... there's, Yeah, because... Like it's actually in in betting the most um, where there's the most corruption is at the lowest levels. The tennis, right? Was right. Yeah, tennis it. is right like it's, tennis. It's, it's all on these satellite circuits, right? Where no one's really paying any attention, and there's 20 people in the crowd, but it's televised somewhere, right? And, and <laughs> people can bet on it. It's like it's nuts, and and you know also it's where the athletes and the referees get paid the least and therefore they can be paid off with the least amount of money. A man speaking from some experience here, Pete? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I was, I've, I've never really been a, a betting guy. I mean, in, in the UK, when you grow up, there's a bookies on every high street. And so you would go in and, and you would bet on horses and stuff like that. But I've never, I've never really been, you know, I, 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 I go to Vegas and I like to play blackjack and stuff like that, but never, never really got into sports betting. Like the Peaky Blinders on High Street? Is that kind of thing? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, that Love kind it. of thing. Love it. Well, we, we've kind of gone way off track here, Jasmine. You're on the show because of your role with Major League Rugby as well. Uh, you started with the Seawolves, but, you know, it's grown from there. You're one of the features now, especially this last season uh, with the CBS Sports Games as well, uh, joining Stacey Pates and Danny Wexelman as our sideline eyes. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the Seawolves. Tell a bit about your story and 
how you came to be with the Seattle Seawolves to start. Oh, okay. We'll start from the beginning. Um, well, uh, I've been a sideline reporter for multiple sports for a long time and never rugby. And uh, there was a CBS game coming. This is in the inaugural year. Um, yep. And they needed a sideline reporter. I was recommended. And this was three weeks before the game. And they called me and I was like, F yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll learn. I yeah. knew minimal about the sport. It's not like I knew nothing, but minimal. And so I ordered rugby for dummies. Don't make fun. It's the first step. And then I called Carly McKinnon down uh, with the Seawolves and said, hey, can I come down there and talk to you and watch practices and learn everything that I possibly can? And she gave me tutorials like every single day. I wanted to learn everything about it. Um, and then I started to fall in love with it after sitting in other classroom sessions and everything. Obviously, I kept everything off the record. It was my learning experience. Um, and then I felt very prepared when I went into the game. But when I was actually on the field watching it and experiencing it myself, I really felt in love with it. Um, you know, football was my first love. I didn't think that I would like rugby as much as I did, um, but I did. And I wanted to represent the sport accurately and positively and professionally. So I made sure that I keep, kept learning it and that I knew the teams and that I knew everything about them and I could tell their stories. And that's what a good reporter does, but I needed to be knowledgeable <laughs> in the sport and with the teams. So beyond that, um, I ended up covering all of the Seawolves games the following year. Um, and then they won the cup again, which was, or the shield, I'm sorry. Um, and then uh, last year, um, last season, I got picked up by Major League Rugby um, to do the national circuit. Um, so I had, I had this really awesome schedule of games I was gonna do this year. <laughs> oh, but um, I, I got to be in uh, Houston and Austin with you guys. I, I know that Pete, you weren't there for the Austin trip. We did Houston together, um, but DP and I did both of those, um, had a great time. And I, I mean, I, once you start immersing yourself in the entire league too, it really, I don't know. I just love the stories of the players the most. And that's usually what I tell, but then I get to work with you guys and just listening to you and it just absorbs into me how much more I learn about the game. Um, it's been an awesome, awesome experience. And I think the last game I did here was home in Seattle. Um, before the shutdown on March 7th. But right before that, I had gone to Vegas and had done a few games there too. So I don't know. It's amazing what this league has done. The fact that the East Coast teams can go to Vegas and play there in a stadium because it's too cold to play, you know, in the beginning of the season. I, I'm just so impressed. It, only in the third year. And it's, it stinks that they had to shut down so early. But I don't know. That's been kind of my journey. I'm sorry for making it long. I usually try to synopsize a little better, but. <laughs> that was good. You do? You do? You try and do it shorter? I'm on. I mean, I I mean you do. Do you want me to start over? <laughs> I, think, I think we're okay. Um, can you talk about, like, in your first experiences of rugby, um, you know, you talked about learning, but um, talk about some of, you know, you talked about the, the um, interactions with the players. What were some of early on, some of those interactions that were like impactful for you where you're like, wow, this is a really cool dude or man, this is like the way these rugby people are is just different than maybe the other sports that you cover. 
Oh yeah, I was like, I'm allowed to talk to them without <laughs> asking anybody? Seriously? <laughs> um, it's funny too, because I had this uh, conversation with Stacy when I first met her too, where I was like, isn't this sport really awesome to cover? And she was like, I would never hug any other athlete. And there's just like this stigma when it comes to women reporters with that. And I, and I've always felt the same exact way. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's funny. I feel like they're all my friends and there's no barrier. They appreciate coverage and, and there's no, I don't know. It's just chill. <laughs> um, my, my favorite thing is the respect between people. Like you can maul a guy, get on a, get in a fight, a guy will break a jaw, you know, stitches in his eye. And then it's like, okay, have a drink <laughs> I just I'm, I'm amazed by it is, is the respect among the athletes especially considering how international MLR has become um, you know it's it's I know that there were there's been a growing amount of players outside of North America I should say because you know there's a lot of Canadian players who are um, who are in the league especially with the arrows now but um, you know you just see more and more international players coming here and it reminds me a lot of MLS actually with some superstars coming over who might be on the tail end of their career um, and are coming here to play and that has to say something for the league too um, but when it comes to the league you know the sport as a whole I'm just impressed by just the the ego gets taken out of it there's something about getting your noggin kicked in <laughs> you know, 30 to 50 times up and down the field that I think it's not even humility. It's just like, oh, okay, I can go out there and bowl out, but I'm just, I'm just me. There's, it, it's, it's that, that's the thing that sets it apart from any other sport that I've covered. How about the bias side? Like you and Stacey get to hug Brad Tucker and, and you get, you know, Oh, here he goes. Respect. Brad I, hug, I hug Brad Tucker and I get a restraining order. I mean, this, that's just not I've fair. I've seen you hug Brad Tucker. Have you ever seen me let go? No. They have to pry exactly. me off. <laughs> Is he in your closet right now? <laughs> oh, just, just a life side cut out I stole from Starfire. But let's talk, let's talk. You talked about crowds at, um, you know, uh, it's just escaped me. What's is it CenturyLink Field? Yes. Yep, yeah. Beautiful. Um, that's the beginning. You know, there's that hard channel. pivot he made there, Pete. Did you see that? Yeah. Hard right turn out of the hard right turn. <laughs> hard right turn out of Brad Tucker potentially being in his closet. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Has anyone Brad, seen? Bark twice if you're in Milwaukee. <laughs> Has anyone uh, seen Go. that since the season ended? No. Yeah. So you talk about the, the advantage that the Seahawks have. Well, it kind of translates across. Like the crowd up at Starfire has just been outstanding those first two years. Having mm -hmm. done college sports, and we're going to talk about your time at Washington State in just a little bit, pro sports with Seattle, the Seahawks, how does that atmosphere kind of translate across? Much smaller venue, but how is the atmosphere feel at like a sold-out Starfire? <clears throat> oh, it's unbelievable. And I think my favorite thing is – uh, watching the opposing team's reaction to it, um, you know, because they do the pyrotechnics for the anthem and the whole crowd stands up and, and sings and, and everybody knows all the chants. I don't know how they even coordinate that stuff. Um, but having traveled around to different venues around the country, I, I realized why it's so rare. And, and I love watching people who haven't seen that before witness it. And it makes it so special for the players. Um, I do think it's a competitive advantage in just probably more the adrenaline than anything. 
the the crowds at, at Starfire are respectful of the sport and sometimes you'll have some jerk yell out during a kick or something but it's usually everyone knows when to be quiet everyone knows when to get pumped up um I think that there's a huge momentum when the crowd gets into the games and I've always seen that there um and I think that Starfire uh, and what Shane has done there, Shane Skinner, the owner um, of the Seawolves, has given kind of a, you know, a focus point for the rest of the leagues. Like some, you know, oh, okay, there's something that we can build on. What are they doing? And I hope to see it spread. Right, can we please have another discussion about whether we should be quiet while someone is kicking for goal? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's like a never-ending discussion in Major League Rugby, and, and there are people that are, like want noise, there are people that don't want noise, but it's, it's, it's like an insoluble problem. Uh, remember that, okay. the, As the, my the blue dress thing went around a while ago? That's like, remember the Facebook thing, or face, Instagram, sorry, I didn't say Facebook. Oh, the white and gold or blue and black the white dress? white and gold or blue and black dress, yeah, that's yeah. like, respect yeah. the kicker. That's exactly, yeah, that's it. You'll never agree on it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, you'll never agree As a, as I was, uh, you know, as I learned my rugby for dummies handbook and everything, rules and etiquette, is that you're supposed to be quiet. So it, it's, it's, you know, my, my two cents is it depends where you're from. And um, mm-hmm. I'm English and definitely in the UK, that's the tradition, but it's not the tradition in other places in the world. And so oh. I think people, people that have a UK-centric view of the game and you know which really comes from like the old amateur days and the, <laughs> yeah right the kind of like rugby's like a upper middle class sport and it's like we all play for fun and and i think that there's you know and i think there's some great parts of the amateur ethos that still exist which is part about the approachability and the humility and that stuff but i think whether you like i think you should respect the culture of the country so if you're in the south of france you're booing the kicker and if you're in twickenham you're not and I think in the U.S. you probably are. I think that's probably what it is. What do you think, Jasmine? Like, just from a not rugby for dummies point of view, your own point of view, American sports oh, culture. You yell. The, if the crowd's into it, you know, we're not respectful. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, no, we're jerks. So we'll, we'll continue to be jerks. Let's go. Kidding me? Country's 200 years old. So I, I, I kicked when I play. I was kicker. And I oh, actually that's weird. You've never mentioned that before. Did you do that in the NFL too? <laughs> uh, that's good. You're good. I preferred the noise. Like, I hated silence. Like, the silence was almost, like, uh, too heavy. Pressure. Yeah. Yep. Like, bring on the noise. So, mm. interesting to see it. And I know some kickers are the same. Some are different. So, but uh, I do remember early Starfire, like, the three of us at games where there was that mix, right? There was new yeah. fans. Who was screaming? There's like the traditions going. No, you gotta be quiet. Just be quiet. And they're like, "Why? It's no, no. They're kicking. We're gonna be loud." And it's, it was uh, it was a fun transition. I, I, so I think I think like if you want to look at another sport for an, an an analogy, think about tennis. Right? Think about how quiet everyone is supposed to be in Wimbledon, and how no one's really quiet at the U.S. Open. Like they like like they are, but it's like much. It's just a different atmosphere, right? And I think and I think there's diversity, and I think if MLR teams can create their own culture for their regions, I think that's good, right? And I think people should be able to make their own choices. I just don't like the people that are judgmental. That's like, this is the only way it is in rugby because generally that's not the case, right? Mm. It, just, it, it just has been in your background or your experience. So, yeah, and I think the, the people at Starfire who are trying to like quiet people, for, you know, they're all American and like love the sport. And I think their whole thing was like, no, 
don't be, don't, don't give us a bad reputation. We don't do like, that's not, that's not the thing. They don't do that. Like, don't do that. (laughs) Um, It never, you know, it it never seemed to be contentious. I just, I felt like people were, cause I could hear from the sidelines, what people were saying is like, no, it's not the NFL. (laughs) We don't do that. Uh, But I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, do what you do. You do you, I guess. Let's talk a little Washington State because I know they're not Let's quite. Go. One of the go op- opposition kicker is kicking up there. Let's start with Minshew Mania because uh, oh. I'm I'm a big fan of Gardner Minshew. Uh, so it's, big that he's on your fantasy team. Uh, listen, I told <laughs> I you my team. My team is no good. Actually, I have Patrick Mahomes as my quarterback. It's my one saving saving grace is I have Pat Mahomes. Uh, go Chiefs! But um, he's winning, but not great you, fantasy did, points right now. Did you see? Did you see this? Uh, did the personality that we see with Minshew today? This, you know, lackadaisy, carefree. Uh, he reminds me a little bit like of Bane. You know, Bane from Batman. Not that he's a bad guy, but you know, when Bane's like, Never heard nobody, nobody cared about me until I put on a mask. You know, no one <laughs> cared about Gardner until he he pulled on the mo. And next thing you know, he's like this. Uh, he's this sensation. But did you see that at all when he was at Washington State? The character. Uh huh. He's been exactly the same. I could tell you plenty of stories about him. So I actually um, interviewed him right after that season. It was after the Alamo Bowl at an awards banquet. Um, and I asked him about it. And I was like, when you, you know, what was the deal with the mustache? You know, have you always had it? Whatever. And he didn't. He grew it out as like a training camp joke. Um, so he had it. And then he's like, everyone just seemed to like it. And he's like, I think I got a little like Stockholm syndrome with it. And that's how he described it to me. And he's like, and people liked it so much that I just kept it. But this is a guy who literally would do his armband workouts naked in nothing but a jock strap in the locker room when he was warming up for practice. His teammates will tell you this. I, all of his teammates have told me that he used to do this. And then, um, well, on a more serious note, when he came in, the heir apparent to the 2018 quarterback season was Tyler Holinsky, who had committed suicide earlier that year so he's coming into a team that and he was just a grad transfer so he was only going to be there for one year nobody knew him at all and a team is reeling from tragedy and he knew he had to win them over and he didn't really have to try he was just himself so during training camp they were doing a pool workout and he goes up on the high dive and in nothing but the jock strap and does a cannibal or jackknife i forget which actual splash it was into the pool and that was the moment that he won the team over and uh it was like this release of like this this leader who is not trying to be a leader and he was exactly the same throughout his entire well it was only one season but through his time at washington state he was exactly that way and you know he's, he's got lifelong friends and guys that he's only known for you know six months of playing with there you go, Pete. All takes is a jock strap and a, and a high board. Uh, don't get any you're ideas. In. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think if anyone sees me doing stuff in a jock strap, that would be um, like people would identify me as a leader. I'm not sure that's the, that's the way to oh. do it. But, 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 Are we going to like name it? this episode Eye Bleach? Or? Yeah, there's only one okay. way to find out, Pete. Uh, <laughs> Proof's in the pudding. So don't that was the around, Dan. This is about making fun of Dan. It is. Sorry. It is. Like, I'm a double agent. I'm a double agent. Get on the program. Get on the program. 
It's a winning formula. Don't don't hey, sway listen, from it. So, I bounce back and forth. I'm a front runner. Yeah. So you, yeah, like <laughs> there you go. So you know, it, with your time at Washington State, you, you used to have a pretty colorful coach there, right? Oh yeah, that's a good description. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what's your best Mike Leach story? Oh, you're gonna love this one because it's extremely embarrassing to me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you'll like this one too. I think it was during Gardner Mission's year there too. I think this was in 2018. Uh, Washington State was playing at Stanford. If it wasn't 2018, it was 2017, but I think it was 2018. Anyway, at Stanford, down by 10 at the half. 20 to 10, and the way Coach Leach does, I do a halftime interview every halftime, and the way he does the interviews, he walks or runs to the locker room uh, and you, so, and you only have the amount of time till he gets there to ask him questions. And so I also have to coordinate with TV and if they're going to interview the coach and TV usually goes with the winning coach. And then I'm talking to the sports information directors and doing all this, preparing my questions in my head. And then all of a sudden coach is like running. So every halftime I did that. And I did, I've done that for eight years. So this one particular game, Stanford happens to have uh, a pretty not it's it, the sideline to where the visiting locker room is is not very far from the locker room however the final play was all the way at the other end of the field so I'm like great I'll just I'll have all the length of the field I'll have 100 extra yards to ask my questions so I'm like I can get two in and so I start going towards him and he sprints by me full-on sprint and I was like oh mofo you getting your questions asked so I sprint after him and I just start asking him and you can tell I'm running I sounded like a beast and I get my and I and, and so he answers one and I was like oh I'm getting two you're getting a follow-up and so I ask him my two I'm like that was embarrassing I'm like okay that was really embarrassing whatever and then it turns out that Barstool Sports was watching the Pac-12 <laughs> networks that day. And they picked me up on their cameras and turned me into a gif because it was the week before Thanksgiving. And it was when you run into your high school girlfriend on the night before Thanksgiving. <laughs> and it got shared probably about 500,000 times before the game was over. <laughs> and I was like, can you tag me in it at least? <laughs> <laughs> Give me some follows, Barstool. Uh, anyway. I'm actually was... like right now, I'm like, let, let, let me get online and see if I can find this platform. It exists in your iPhone. If you just try to GIF it, it'll be oh. there. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Not with my name, but yeah. But you now live, you, you now have, uh, um, you are now immortal on the internet. This is why I wanted to become a reporter, honestly, is just have some misogynistic website gift me, please. That's it. <laughs> I'm retiring. I'm going to go become a teacher now, guys. I'm trying to find it as well at the same time. We have to do it after we finish the All show. Right, I'll send yeah. it to you, jerk. Send it out to the world. <laughs> yeah. Good so, wait, um, make sure Aaron, Aaron like, um, replies to all of our socials with that gift. Right? Isn't that, isn't that... That's a good start, actually. That's perfect. <laughs> how, how was it with that mentality? Obviously, like college sports, the NFL, it is it is buttoned up 
It is fast. You know, your, your TV have done it for years and years and years. It's an art form. How was it then translating over to rugby and like having the accessibility that you have to coaches who, you know, in some situations, I remember, was it the game that we did this year with the lightning, the snow, the rain, the hail, all within five minutes, and then there's poor coach just standing there and waiting with you in this poor thing as we try to figure out the truck to get an interview done. Like, you'd never get that from a Pete Carroll or a Mike Leach, would you? No, you'd never make coaches wait. And uh, I mean, th- and that's not just in that situation. And I still felt so bad about that. But the guys were amazing. And it didn't matter what country they were from, what team they worked for. I mean, I probably ran the gamut across the different nationalities that I got to speak to. Um, but uh, I, I still remember Richie Walker, who was the, the coach for the Seawolves. He used to start, he started coming up to me and asking me if I needed anything. And I was like, what am I allowed to say or ask you? I don't know. I, this is off the record right now. Do you want to do this at halftime? Yeah, you just let me know what you need, but you know, what do you want for the first half? I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know, just, uh, and, and that's just one example, but that's the way that I found the difference in accessibility is, um, it's almost like we don't, we're not hiding anything. We don't have any secrets to hide and we're just going to go out there and beat you on the field. And with at least American football and both the college and the professional level, it's everything's strategy. And it's almost a little pompous sometimes where I'm like, really, really like, hold on. It's like, Oh, now we're not going to know what play you ran. Okay. Like, Oh, we were going to read your lips and know this, but Okay, this and that and that and this. Like, come on. Like, and, and rugby, they're like, oh, we'll let you know everything we're doing. We're just going to be better than you, stronger than you, and faster than you. But... Um, I, to be I, fair, I like <laughs> they've had, there, ha, there have been a couple, and it isn't that many, but there have been a couple of coaches in the first three years of MLR that have been quite difficult to find and have not always provided... <laughs> the access that we would like, but, but they're actually pretty rare. And, and generally- Well, if, well, I, Pete, maybe if you just dazzle them a little oh, bit. Oh, okay, all right, all right, <laughs> I see. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make that comment, but-, but, but You if, shouldn't. For the most part, if coaches are like that, then they'll just get their assistants to it, right? Yeah. And so I think that's it. it. It's really about, you know, I think one of the things that I've actually learned a lot from like you, Jessamine, and, and from Stacy and Danny around how this, um, how this sports entertainment works, right? Like, which is new to me. I'm a coach and I came yeah. in as a coach. And, um, but you know, it's sports entertainment and the league will survive on how entertaining we are and how much of a show we can put on. And I think there are, you know, I think, you know, um, coaches like Richie understand that. They understand that they're, they have a role in making sure that the M- MLR provides a good product, right, to the fan. Um, on TV, and and that's that's critical for us to do. And I think the I have I have a lot of respect for coaches like that because I think that they see the big picture. I think there are other coaches, and like I said, very few who are so focused on their own performance that they don't always understand that it doesn't matter how well you do individually if the league doesn't survive, right? And I, I, think, I think understanding the entertainment side of it is important for for a coach. And it really is. And I know it's new, obviously, with MLR being so young, but it's almost like you look at the difference between Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll. Um, Two completely different ways of dealing with the media 
and Pete Carroll's beloved, you know, with the way, uh, just by the way, by the fans here and everything. Bill Belichick is, lo- is loved because he wins. Pete Carroll wins too, but he's got this connection with the fans. And I know for a fact that he is very strategic with that. Um, and I, I do agree. And the thing is too, you had mentioned that like, oh, if, if a head coach doesn't want to do it, he'll get the assistant coach to do it. That's definitely happened to me, except I'm not aware that they're pushing me off you know it's right. just like oh i've got someone who can do that for you you know it's not like no i don't have time for that it's oh i've got the perfect guy for you to talk to you know uh, it's it's polite and nice yeah uh so i i really enjoyed it <laughs> well i personally love having you around jasmine the last two mm-hmm. and a half three years has been so much fun I, i'm year, picking just... up on your sarcasm there dan no no i'm serious <laughs> i'm serious you've You've been my muse up there in the Pacific Northwest with the Seattle. We were the Seattle team with Kevin Swearin last year and having you on the circuit with the national games this year was fun. Uh, You want to talk about drawing out a story. We drove from Houston to Austin in week one and she only told me what she likes for breakfast in the whole drive. So she just drew that whole thing. That's because I was trying to get you to go to the MMA fight with me. And you wouldn't no, go. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go, would I? No. No, no, it wasn't MMA. It, it was, was uh, XFL. John Jones. And I had tickets to the XFL game, too. And you wouldn't go to – I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the, uh, the XFL game. Then we're going to go to the MMA fight. And then we're, we'll drive to Austin. You're like, oh, no, i got to do my notes. Why would you do that, Dan? Like, that's, that's a perfect – I had a game. I had a game to prepare for the next day. He's a professional. To- it was the He's debut of Major League Rugby on Fox Sports. It was like a 7 p.m. kick the next day. Yeah. Do you know what it's like carrying Pete Steinberg through 80 minutes of rugby? That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, true. That's actually pretty true, just, I mean, just so you know. That's kind of how it works. So you missed out, man. Has to carry me, I did. has to carry me on his back during those shows. Hey, at least uh, I got to bring uh, Sturbina to the Aerosmith concert. He did stuff oh, with me. You want to at least I have some partner oh. who does stuff with me. I know. Did you see that, Pete? I got really, I got jealous. She put it up on the socials, her and uh, Stabby at the Aerosmith concert in Vegas. And I was like, really? Really? You never take me to do anything fun. And of course, that opened up the box of like, oh, I offered John Jones fight in Houston, XFL game in Houston. It was like, and we were right there. We were right there. We were right there. How did Jones do that night? Who did he fight? I don't even remember. He won, though. He always Yeah, this guy, John Blonde, he, so, the fighter used to play football for my dad in college. That's and so that's right. how I knew all the people there. And I was like, that's oh, right. it's a bunch of my dad's old linebackers are going there. And I was like, oh, we're going. And you're like, well, I haven't done my boards. Well, I had two games to do that weekend. It was tough. And then the roster for the late game hadn't come out by the time I jumped on a plane for the early game. Hashtag commentator's life. It's tough. You know, no, dad's sad. Well, let's talk Pete, about some exciting You're going news. to the next cool thing. You're coming to the next cool thing. Oh, I was wondering when I was going to get an invite. But to be fair, Dan, Dan is, is, is a bit of the uh, Iron Man commentator for Major League Rugby. I mean, he'll do whatever it takes. He'll jump on a late plane, jump on an early plane. He'll drive three hours. He, uh, um, he does back-to-back games. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more discerning. But Jessamine, definitely, let's do something fun. It, okay. And especially if Dan's with us. And just <laughs> and I'll be like, oh hey Pete, do you want to come to the show with me? Okay, I cool. Have I have one three tickets. Spare ticket. Um, I have three tickets, but I'll just rip this one up. Okay, Pete, you and me. Got it. <laughs> as long as it's not a Britney Spears concert. If you do that to me, friendship. Um, is over. she's 
fabulous. She is fabulous. And, That's what I mean. And if you hold oh, me out of that, we're done. Like, uh, you know, Queen B, uh, she's my girl. So don't do it. Don't even joke. Queen B is Beyonce. <laughs> no, no, so. no. Queen B is always Britney. She was first. Agreed. Don't, don't at me. Don't at me, all you Beyonce fans. <laughs> all right. We have good news. Go. We have good news. We have a schedule. The league, it's coming back. Jessamine, it was announced right before we went to air to record this show. The league will start on March 20th, 2021. We're back in action. You know, what are your initial thoughts? We'll go to you first, J-Mac. What are your initial thoughts on first the league pushing back to a little bit of a later start, but putting a line in the sand saying, hey, we're coming back. This is what we're doing. Um, and then, you know, happy to go public and announce it as well. Uh, well, I think that pushing it back gives them a better chance to actually start on time. So one, I think that that's a good idea is to delay it just a bit, but give themselves enough time to get the entire season in. And two, I mean, I feel like that's almost an exact year from the date when they decided to shut down. Um, it, right. it was pretty close to that. And three, that's almost exactly six months from now. And that should be something to get, be really excited about. So uh, I, I, I know that there might be circumstances where fans might not be allowed in or um, limited fans might be, who knows what'll happen. I don't even know what'll happen tomorrow anymore, but uh, I find every single thing about that extremely encouraging. Pete, what are your thoughts? So, so I think it's smart. I mean, I think if you look at um, what sports are, you know, or what people believe the coronavirus is going to do, they know, they think it's going to be worse in the winter. People have to be indoors. Um, but hopefully in the spring, it's going to be a little bit easier. I know in the UK, they actually just had a meeting um, on Tuesday morning with, uh, I think it was nine different sports where they, where the government basically told the sports what's going on and included rugby and they're, they're probably going to have to have a bailout because they're basically saying, we're not going to have fans in the stadium until March. And so it looks like, um, you know, the medical task force, the COVID task force that MLR has that meets weekly is probably looking at that and saying, okay, this is, uh, you know, a safer time for us to start. I think that um, it's, a, it's a good time. It's going a little later. So the final is going to be on um, August 1st. I, the interesting thing for me is how they're going to do the schedule. It's 16 games a, um, a team. And there's seven teams in the West Coast Conference and six teams in the East Coast Conference. So there's going to be some imbalance in those crossovers. And so it'll be interesting to see how they actually come out with a schedule. And that's like 13 teams is like, you know, it's a prime number, right? So it's probably like one of the worst combinations that you could have. Um, but, you know, I think there's obviously ways to do it. And, and whatever schedule comes out, there's going to be some concerns about what teams look like. But I think putting um, a date in the sand is something you, you can work to. I, um, I'm with Jessamine. I, I think there'll be fans in the stands, whether it's full capacity um, will depend on where you are. Um, so it's, you know, it's going by state by state. And so, um, but I think the, you know, major sports elsewhere have shown that they can do this. Jessamine talked about the NFL. I think, you know, by March, there'll probably be, you know, more instant, cheaper testing. I know that's one of the reasons why the Big Ten has come back. So hopefully by March, that'll be available for the players to make sure the players, because I think the biggest challenge has been what happens if there's an outbreak on a team. And if there's an outbreak on a team, 
than that team like during the season, that's a really, really big problem. There's games, soccer games this week in the UK that are being cancelled mm. because there's been outbreaks on teams. I think one team has, like in soccer, um, something like half of their squad, like 12 or 13 players are all quarantining. They, te- they all tested positive. It isn't just their quarantine, they all tested positive. So, so there's definitely some concern. So I think some testing by March would, would make it useful. But I think this, this feels, Dan, like a believable schedule. This feels like a start date that we can believe in. Like it's not, it's not in January. You know, they pushed it back a little bit. It, it goes a little later. There's going to be maybe some clashes with the international window, but we don't know what's going to happen with that. So, you know, I, I, think, I think it seems like a very reasonable day and I appreciate, you know, I, I think the league has done a really good job in how they've handled this. Like they paid out the players up front. They've been, you know, careful and cautious thinking about what they're going to do. Um, and, you know, they seem to be handling it well. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I kind of want to come back to you on this one, Pete, first. But you mentioned the international window. Put on your commissioner cap for a second. What do you do if you do run into an international window? It's club versus country at that point. Let's say we're in you know, week two of the finals and it's game one of the ARC at the same time. Where are the players' allegiance? Is it to their MLR teams that are paying them or is it to their country, the USA? What takes precedence? And are teams like our private owners going to want, let's say... Pete Steinberg, you're my starting fly half and you're my star player, but you're also, you know, the, the fly half of the USA. I need you to, to beat, you know, the MLR team we're playing against this week. Where do you go from there? Hypothetically. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think it's a really, really smart question, Dan. And I think that um, what I hope, and, and I'm sure has happened, is there's been discussions between the league um, and USA Rugby um, and Rugby Canada about um, the schedule. Uh, we've been through this before. I, I, I think it's, um, you know, a, it, it, if, if there's games during the season, it'll be just like it, 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 it was before. You know, be Gary Gold, um, you know, on the US side, talking to teams. And the, if there's games during the season and during the playoffs, they're not going to get their first choice. Like, I think the, um, the club rugby will come first because there'll be games after the season that they can get their first choice, right? So I think it's a little different if the whole competition is during the season. But actually, it might, might be a game or two. And, and I think the ARC might actually be after the season, but there might be an international test or two in that July window. And if there is, I think you, you know, um, Rugby Canada and USA Rugby will understand that you can't get your first choice. So there'll be players that maybe would be on the benching games. I think it would affect the bench maybe more than the starters. Um, and then it also depends a little bit on the, on the career of the player, right? If this is the first chance that the player has to play and stuff like that. But I'm, I think the, where we are now, there's definitely a, um, a, there'll be a, um, a, you know, a spirit of collaboration and they'll try and make this work in a way that doesn't put the players, like the worst thing about that situation is it puts the players in the middle. Um, and I think that they need to, you know, you need to have some broad guidelines if that happens, but I expect that we'll just go straight from major league rugby straight into the ARC and there probably won't be any tests in July. That would be my guess. So Pete is correct in that the ARC window is now completely out of the MLR season. It starts, uh, would be the second to last week of August will be the first test in the ARC. The issue is that um, I, I talked to somebody today and they were like, well, somebody, the union seemed to be trying to negotiate games 
for July, um, which I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, it, it could create a conflict and hopefully they don't schedule three games because, well, we don't know what borders are going to be like. Right. Right. And I, I wonder if that's got to do with them. I, I'm pretty sure that we've talked about this on a previous show, that eligibility extension of, of the three year and trying to get those players captured ASAP. So if they're not, you know, captured within that window and then it, we move to the new rules and then they're missed out. I think there's quite a, there's a handful of MLR players in that, uh, in that boat, Pete. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that the MLR season would be a, a great, um, uh, you know, lead um, into in the ASC, but also remember that not every team's going to make the playoffs. There's going to be a lot of players that will be available. It just means that, you know, if, if there's some overlap, I mean, what will probably happen, Dan, is I think most likely is that there'll be a camp that will happen during the last week or so of the MLR season that will lead into the ARC and players as their teams get dropped out of the playoffs um, will, will step in. All right, Jessman, we're going to look at some new signings in the league. What's going on in Seattle? No announcements coming out of the Seawolves. You got any inside information from the Seawolves on, on some signings or some re-signings up there? Uh, none that I can reveal to you, Dan. Oh, that's very saucy. <laughs> um, I haven't heard, honestly, much uh, from the Seawolves up here. Um, little tight-lipped. Obviously, they had a ton of international players on their roster, and... Um, a lot are doing, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot in the community right now. Um, I know uh, Shalom Suniula has been doing a lot of work with the Special Olympics. Um, Matt Turner has always been very involved in the community up here as well. Um, but nothing new from the roster front. I do know that they were trying to keep a tight core. Um, but they have some players who you would say are on the older side of the rugby, rugby playing age. Uh, fortunately, those guys, a lot of them live here already. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I can't really give you anything definitive on what it'll look like, but I know that out of every single team in the league, this is kind of a destination for, for players to come. Well, it was for uh, Jeremy Lainartz because that's our first signing. He's going to Houston. Sorry about that one. Well, no, no good comment. thing I didn't say no he's comment. Here. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> No, <laughs> I, I just thought you were going to say Brad Tucker, Brad Tucker, Brad Tucker, Brad Tucker, Brad Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That there is some consistency in that. So good for you preparing for it. <laughs> but uh, Jeremy Lanitz, he leaves Sea Wolves. He goes down to the Sabercats. Pete, you know. Think, oh, hang the, on. What do you got for me, J Mac? I was just going to say I heard a lot of positive things about the ownership down there in Houston when we were there, um, and I uh, was surprised how many people ended up leaving other clubs to go to Houston, but that doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, they own their stadium. They've got, um, they're a growing building fan base. Uh, that is, that's kind of nice. And the, the Gilbronies too. Um, both those Texas teams, I've heard really positive things about the ownership groups. Well, I think that the pickup of Jeremy Linets is, is, is a big one for Houston. I mean, quality second row. Uh, I think that's an area that, that they look to develop. I, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think Seattle tends to be late movers in some of this stuff, right? They, they, they tend to do things a little bit later. I think having a start time probably allows some of these teams 
that, that have like an established core to be like, okay, now we know because now we can start talking to people and we can start talking about calendars, especially for those players overseas. It's difficult to go out and recruit them if you're not sure exactly when they're going to come, how long they're going to stay for. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we'll, hopefully we'll hear more out of um, Seattle sometime soon. Yeah. I like this signing from the Sabre Cats, Pete. Uh, Jeremy, tough guy, tough player, no nonsense. He's a blue collared, hardworking guy and he'll fit in well down there with Houston. I'm sure uh, the original man crush, Sam Windsor, will be very happy to have another big, tough forward in front of him to get him some quality ball in 2021. 20, another. Wait, Sam was your original one. man crush? Yeah, Brad wasn't here in year one. So, Sam, oh, I was all, I'm a I was big all fan about of Sam. Sam. Everyone's <laughs> a big fan. How can you not be a fan of Sam Windsor? That's a really good point. Yeah, he's a, he's a as good a player as he is. He's an even better bloke. And that's saying a lot because he's an exceptional player. But uh, another movement. Jessamine, Mike Brown, he leaves uh, the Rooney Roosters. He leaves New York and goes to the new expansion franchise in Dallas. So they're picking up another front row player here, Pete, and you've always preached front row is so important in Major League Rugby. They get an experienced front rower to the new club here in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I think Dallas is doing a a good job that they're picking up some of these um, experienced MLR players. Um, Mike Brown is solid, right? I don't think he um, is going to let you down. And I think you know what you're going to get. I think for some of these expansion teams, bringing in players from overseas, um, you really need to know those players if they haven't played over here. Major League Rugby is a little bit different. You know, you're often playing on turf, which can be different. The distances are different. So having someone like Mike Brown with that experience is important. So another prop making their way over to the US will be uh, Xander Voss from South Africa going to New England. Uh, New England had that South African pipeline up and running. Well, <laughs> it's going to be a very different team. We, we had, we had uh, Mags on the show what, a month or so ago, but the, the real, like the recruitment comes through, you know, Tom Kindly a lot and he's, He's, I, I, without without tooting that guy's horn too much, he's like the Jonah Hill of Moneyball of Major League Rugby. Like I think he's kind of revolutionising recruitment, and he's looking at things from different perspectives in terms of the players that he wants. And he, he's a very analytical, very smart guy. We actually should get him on the show and just just chat to him about like his philosophy, just on recruiting. Uh, you'd, you'd enjoy it, Pete. You'd nerd out. You'd kick out. Oh no, I was going to say that sounds like the perfect show for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm all over it. Let's do it. Aaron, let's do it. So they also pick up uh, Joe Johnson as well. Which is interesting, right? Because this is a a Kiwi who qualifies for the US. Young guy, 22, bat row, uh, played for Bay of Plenty. That's going to be a really interesting signing and and a good signing potentially for um, the US Eagles. I feel like we talked about him last time. I do feel like we talked about him. Mum's American, uh, dad's from New Zealand. So. Yeah, go back and listen to the show, Aaron. I'm pretty sure we talked about him. So <laughs> brought this up. That's all right. Just going through the notes. Just I'm just doing my job. I'm just I'm Ron Burgundy. You put it on the screen. I will read it. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go back and look, and maybe we did. It's just okay. not, not that it's been so long ago, but we've had. I mean, the uh, the big news has just been like tumbling. It's been tumbling and rumbling and bumbling. I love it. All right, some extensions. We'll go back to Houston. The, uh, the peanut M&M, Charlie Connolly, the man uh, with no neck. He resigns in Houston. And Thomas Morani resigns as well. We didn't see a lot of Morani uh, this year, obviously with a shortened season, Pete, but excited to see him go as well. Some international experience there. Yeah, absolutely. With him. 
Uh, any thoughts on that one? Charlie, again, good, good front row. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think the, you know, extensions are always good because they breed continuity. And especially for, you know, if we think about Houston with a new coaching staff, it, it's going to be important to have some, some continuity, but then bolster it with uh, some quality players like lineups. Yeah. Well, well, Healy was on the show and you, you spoke to uh, Heels, didn't you, Jessamine, in week one? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, great guy. That's a while ago. It was, yeah. wasn't it? So sad. But uh, <laughs> I not know, him. I miss it. <laughs> but uh, like he said, 70% of his roster basically wasn't picked by him. He was coaching right. the majority. So to have these guys extend is good for them as well. It means, you know, he's seen something in them. He wants to keep them there. So uh, New England bring back Ronan McCusker and Quinton Newcomer. Uh, has changed his last name now because he's extended to no longer a newcomer. He's uh, a what? A long timer. Long timer, returner. I don't know. I don't know. Here's a good one for you, Pete. I know you love this guy. JP Eloff. He extends in NOLA. A guy who's been through a lot on the injury front but now seems to be healthy, has his best rugby in front of him. Uh, Fitzgerald Osborne running the show down there. This is a good signing. I think he's going to really do good things this year, 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, JP is so talented. I mean, he, he might be one of the more talented backs in Major League Rugby, but hasn't really been able to get on a solid run because of some injuries that have got in the way. Um, he, you know, he's been, they're playing him at fullback, but pretty much he can play anywhere in the back line, including scrum half. Um, he's just that talented, great foot, um, good open field tackler. I think that he needs some of that run of consistency to get um, into the Eagle squad. I'm sure it's some, something that, Gary Gold and his assistants are looking at, but um, big fan. Big fan. Do you, do you ever do anything with JP, Jessamine? You met uh, JP? No. No, I haven't, but like I said, always looking forward to meeting everyone in the league. He's obnoxiously nice, like to the point where you're oh, like, we would not get along then. Oh, no, he is like the <laughs> nicest guy. He's, he's a true gentleman. Uh, San Diego, they strengthen their pack up. Pete Tavita Tamalau comes back and Nathan Sylvia. So for Nathan Sylvia, I'll start with Nate because I really feel like he needs to shake the project tag in 2021. That would be my big ask of him. I think he's due to kind of bust out of like, well, he's a crossover. He's a project. You wait and see. I feel like we've heard that for the last three years and now it's time for him to step up. And then Tamalau, on his day, probably one of the best ball carriers in major league rugby so going deep here in the forward pack of the legion yeah i mean you know tamalau is just um a, a, i think a real solid play again someone that hasn't maybe shown his best he did start the first three games of the season for san diego it looked like he was going to get a strong run um you know 15 international caps um that guy is solid I'm, I'm with you on nathan sylvia i'm really high on him i know the coaches were high on him last year lots of competition in san diego right so there's that's been good for him. I know he's primarily been coming off the bench, but the players in front of him have been like solid internationals, but he has an opportunity. I think, you know, San Diego, um, you know, working with Scott Murray down there, I think that you're right. I think, it, you know, this year, this coming year, 2021 will be the year I think Nathan Sylvia will win that starting spot and then, you know, go on and, and play for the U.S. We also have Ian Gibbons going down there as a strength condition coach. Jessman, he was with the Seawolves. one uh, is a very tough taskmaster and a very smart mind in strength and conditioning. So he will definitely uh, be one that uh, Tamalau needs to basically attach himself to and get into game shape. But yeah, that's it. That's it for the extensions. So I know we've got some other big news that we need to get into and uh, somewhat sombering news as, as a good friend of all of ours announced, you know, Alex 
Kubusario announced that he is uh, re-engaged in his battle with testicular cancer. He's over in London getting treatment now. And I know that all three of us obviously wanted to give him a shout out. So, you know, from me, Corbs, obviously we're all thinking of you, mate, and we're all here for you if you need anything. And you're one of the, the toughest dudes that we know. So we know you're going to bounce through this. Uh, Jessamine? Yeah, uh, I met Corbs um, actually in February in Vegas. We were um, all working together um, and, you know, we had a nice little tight-knit group of back and forth, back-to-back days, you know, two crews and just switching places and uh, had a really, really wonderful time with him. Um, you know, when you meet someone for the first time and you're like, oh, okay, we're friends now. Um, I kind of felt, I feel like that's him with everybody um, from anyone that I know that knows him. Um, and was just thinking about him today. So same to you best. And, and also I appreciate his honesty and openness with it. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the thing that I appreciate. I've, I've gotten to know, um, Corpse quite a bit over the last couple of years since he spent some time in the U S. Um, I love his, like, um, was it no egos amigos? Um, that he, no egos, just amigos, just amigos. And, and I think that he is, he lives, he lives that right. And so he's a very selfless guy. Um, when he's over here in the U.S., he's not out for himself. He wants the betterment of the game. He's done a lot of stuff kind of like under the radar for the betterment of U.S. rugby. Um, helped players, done some coaching. Um, it's been great to see him invest. And I think, you know, just like, uh, um, uh, you know, all of us, I think we all wish him the best. And, uh, you know, he's a strong man with a strong support network over there. So, um, you know, uh, I think we're all sure that he, he will fight the good fight. Yeah, if anyone can get through it, it's going to be Corbs. Good guy, and uh, looking forward to having him back stateside, hopefully for the kickoff of the season next year as well. Well, that wraps it up, guys. It's another show in the bag. J-Mac, how good has it been to catch up? Better for you than me. True. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love making Pete laugh. <laughs> Mostly when it's at Dan's expense. Um, anyway. Uh, cheap, no, cheap laughs, Jamie. Uh, cheap laughs. <laughs> easy. Hey, man. Hey, if you're serving it up easy, don't tell me not to spike. Uh, anyway, uh, I miss you guys. It's good to see your faces, and thanks for having me on. I just, I really enjoy talking to you. Oh, anytime. Anytime. It's an open invitation. Love working with you in Seattle. Excited to see next year what the future holds and what the schedule is going to look like. Uh, we've got a start date and a finish date. We just need to fill in the middle. Pete? Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that schedule because once we get that schedule, we can start nerding out on, uh, on the teams. And like, it's, it's given me a little bit like it's like you can smell it right now. Now that schedule, you can there's something coming. And now we can um, everyone has a marker in the sand to work towards. So it's uh, it's going to be an exciting six months. Yeah, we're back, baby. We're back. I was warning everyone. I was putting up the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and now uh, it came true. So. Get ready. I'll be back. <laughs> 2021. Thanks for tuning in, folks. MLR kickoff for Pete Steinberg, Jessamine McIntyre, and now producer Aaron Castro. I'm Dan Power. 